Psalm 19, everybody. Psalm 19, and we are going to keep going through this lesson, through this three-part little series in Psalm 19 about how God reveals himself. How does God speak? Last week, we talked more specifically about how God reveals himself to mankind through his creation, through the things he's made. We discovered how God shows his divine fingerprint in the sky for all to see. The heavens declare, they, they loudly scream it, the glory of God. When the firmament showeth his handiwork, you don't have to look for it. God's creation daily pours and breathes out the declaration of not just God's existence, but also how glorious he is. God's creation, which he made through Christ Jesus, informs us about who he is. It tells us about his personality. Just like how I would walk into your guys' bedrooms and by how it's clean or unclean or the decorations you put up or the, the uniforms in your closet or whatever, I would learn more about who you are by the environment that you have made. And so we learn the same about God. By the creation he has made, we learn a lot about who our God is. Science is, is just a retelling or it's just a showing of who God is. It's, science is like getting on the great adventure. It's like reading a storybook of all the intricacies of God's creation. Charles Spurgeon said this, the whole world is nothing else but God expressed. Think about that. The whole world is nothing else but God expressed. God has three wheel, three ways, not wheels, three ways that he reveals himself to mankind. And they are, what are they, guys? All with C's. The creation of God, the conscience of man, and the canon of Scripture. Ready? It's the creation of God, the conscience of man, and the canon of Scripture. Ready? It's the... Creation of God. Ah, the... Conscience of man, and the... Canon of Scripture. Okay. Out of these three in this psalm, only two of them are talked about. And this week we'll discuss the canon of Scripture. When we talk about the canon of Scripture, I'm not talking about a pirate ship and how they have a thing that they put a cannonball inside and God revealing himself by shooting cannonballs of, of Bible at us. No, when we talk about the canon... Canon, it's not like how we would use it in today's age, or we would talk about like um, comic books or movies, and then they would make like an animated series about one of the movies, and then people would be talking about, oh, is that story canon? Uh-huh. Is that part of the general story? That's not how this word is used when we talk about canon of Scripture. We talk about the canon of Scripture, we're talking about the little books of the Bible that were collected and how they all add up into the overall big book of the Bible. We would call all those books together the canon, the collection of scripture, how we would collect all those and make them into one big Bible. It's important to remember that this book was not written as one big book. It was and it wasn't. Psalms was written as its own entity. Proverbs was written as its own entity. Song of Solomon was written as its own entity. All these books were individual books. Book of Isaiah, book of Genesis, all these different books, they were different books. Okay, let's keep moving on. Verse seven, we'll start to get into this, okay? The law of the Lord is perfect. Amen. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. God's word, more specifically his law, 
The first five books of the Bible, that's the law of God, are what we would call the law. Most interestingly, this law contains within it the account of how God created the world, and which is what the first six verses of this psalm were communicating to us. That God made this world, and now his account is confirmed. In the Bible, it talks about how a word is established by the mouth of what? Two or three witnesses, right? So now we have God's witness, or the, I'm sorry, creation's witness, that God made me and God exists and God is glorious, and now we have a second witness, the very mouth and words of God, and honestly, even a third one, because Moses is the one that wrote it down. So now we can look at this claim that creation makes. Oh, God made this world, and God confirms it, and Moses also confirms it, that yes, God made this world, and he is glorious, God has made his world, and now his account is confirmed by the declaration that nature makes, and now by God's own word. This law of the Old Testament contains 613 commandments. You guys think your school rule book is big? 613 laws, and you are responsible for every single one of them. Every one of those commandments were right and perfect. They were right and perfect. The law contained the history of creation all the way to the end of Moses' life, and every word of it is perfectly and historically accurate. We talk a lot about how people rewrite history nowadays. They'll talk about Christopher Columbus, and they'll rewrite history to make him look like the bad guy. I'm not saying he was perfect, but I don't think that he was everything that now in modern history they make him out to be. Or they'll, they'll rewrite, or they'll wash over, or they'll try to take God out of history. And there's a lot of false histories that are out there, a lot of False news, fake news, you guys hear that a lot? Well, in God's historical account, it is perfectly accurate. And when people start to do archaeological diggings, they will think to themselves, I think it was the, the Hittites. They, um, they thought that the Hittites never actually existed. They're like, I've never seen anything about the Hittites. I've never known anything about the Hittites. The Bible's wrong because the Hittites never existed until they kept digging. Until they kept digging, they found out, oh, uh, this is... From the Hittites. Um, okay, well, we were wrong, but God's word's still wrong, and they'll jump back to that narrative. So the world may have their history and their history books and their narratives and the things they think are true, but eventually they'll catch up with God. Amen. Someday. His book is perfectly accurate. Yep. It is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law is not just accurate, but it is active. Let me say that again. The law is not just accurate, but it is active. It is converting or restoring the soul. The word convert literally means to restore. The word for converting is the soul is meshaba. Everybody say meshaba. Meshaba, which would mean to restore from decay and disorder. The law as our schoolmaster brings us to faith in the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, and restores our souls unto eternal life and to the God we have fallen away from. Galatians 3 says this, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. When this perfect law shows us our sins and our need for a savior and how thirsty we are, and we didn't even know it. You guys ever been thirsty and you didn't even know you were thirsty? You're just out working and working and working and working and working and working. It's been three hours and you've been in the hot sun and you didn't even know that you were thirsty until you got some water and you're like, 
I'm thirsty. So then you take that big orange igloo cooler and then you're the gross person. You stick your, uh, your mouth on the end of that because you were, I didn't even know I was thirsty until I, I tasted some of this water. And now, oh, I'm really thirsty. That's kind of what it is when the law, the law converts the soul. It shows us that, hey, you're thirsty. Most of this world, they say, oh, I don't need God. 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 That's only because they don't even know. They're so thirsty, they don't even know how thirsty they are. They're so empty, they don't even know how empty they are because they've always been empty. But when the law takes us by the hand, so when we talk about the schoolmaster, it means like a line leader. Guys, in elementary school, how there's somebody, they would assign the, the line leader, and that line leader, I mean, they felt like, tuck in my shirt, put on my suit, I am in charge of this class school line. And you walk with your big shoulder, your chest out, and you're just walking like you got all the authority in the room, because I'm the line leader. And you would lead that line to the place that was intended for you to go. So the law was assigned as this line leader, this thing assigned to take you from your current destination to Jesus Christ, to show you, to open your eyes, to to take us by the hand and take us to the water of life, to let us see that the Lord, that we need him, that we're in desperate need. This perfect law shows us our sins and our need for a savior and how thirsty we are. Jesus is there offering us the water that will keep us from ever thirsting again. And he says to all those that are thirsty, come. Verse seven, let's look at that second part. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It's established. It's settled, making wise the simple. Those who have no knowledge of God or his salvation have the law of God come to them and bring them from complete ignorance and frankly, stupidity towards salvation. Total ignorance, no knowledge whatsoever of God or salvation And they bring him to knowledge of salvation and of justification of Jesus Christ to a place of understanding and of making us wise unto salvation. Go to 2 Timothy, guys. 2 Timothy 3.15. 2 Timothy 3.15. This is Paul talking to Timothy, and this kind of connects really well with Psalms. 2 Timothy 3.15, and it says this. And that from a child, talking about Timothy, Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee, what guys? Wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The law of God, the scriptures show us how sinful we truly are. And they show us how blind we are. And it is in that discovering of our blindness that we truly see that we need sight. It is in that knowing that we need sight that we are willing to ask the Lord for our healing. The wisest thing an unsaved person can understand is that he is blind and needs Christ to give him sight. The wisest thing a lost person can feel is that deep thirst that nothing but Jesus can satisfy. It is the simple and spiritually ignorant and naive that is blind and boldly declares that he has sight. Think about that. A blind person who's who's never known anything else but blindness and they hear about this sight thing and they think to themselves, oh, I have sight. And everybody who has sight looks at him and says, no, you're blind. But we are in a world full of blind people. And they think that they see so well. And they are deceived because they've been deceived by their sin, their own selves, and our adversary, the devil. It is the simple and spiritually ignorant and naive that is blind and boldly declares that he has sight. It is the one who has no idea of his physical condition that has a life 
ending thirst, a thirst that will kill him. He's literally dying of thirst, but says that he has no need for the water that Jesus gives. It is one who has no idea of spiritual things that is without Jesus Christ and on his way to hell to suffer in the wrath of God forever that says, I don't need God or his son and I will make it to heaven based off of my good works and my own merit and the good person that I am. Isaiah 45, 22 says this, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God. And there is none else. Look unto me and be ye saved. That's God's command to the lost. He says, obey the gospel. Come to me in faith. Romans 10 actually quotes this psalm that we're in today. It quotes verse 4. And it talks about how the lines of their sound has gone throughout all the earth. And there's no place where the gospel has not been heard. And I would say to you that you have heard the gospel, but just like the book of Isaiah says, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? There's so many people who just refuse to obey the gospel. They refuse to believe. They refuse to trust. They refuse to admit, I am a sinner. I am sinful. I deserve hell. I am not who I thought that I was, but Jesus is who he said that he is. And I trust him for my salvation and then call on the Lord. The Bible says that God will beautify the meek with salvation. What does that mean? When God will beautify the meek with salvation. So if I was at McDonald's, and you guys would be like, what you doing at McDonald's? And I would say, yeah, you're right. Let's go to Chick-fil-A instead. And then we would drive to Chick-fil-A, right? And we would get in line at Chick-fil-A and be me, Sam, James, and Joe. And I guess, Blaine, you could come along too, I guess. Just kidding. All right. So we're at Chick-fil-A and we get in line. Brother Alex is first in line. And I order, this is what I get. I go, I'll take uh, two Chick-fil-A sandwiches, American cheese with extra pickles with no bun, please. And then I'll, I'll be there. And then the lady, yeah, go ahead and laugh. It's funny, whatever. Anyway, and then the lady would look at me and then she'd go, okay, that'll be um, $12.73 for you Chick-fil-A people. Maybe you know the exact price. That'll be $12.73. And I'll dig in my pockets and in, and in my, oh, I forgot my wallet. Dude, and they don't, and I forgot my phone at home too because they take Apple Pay and I don't have my Apple Pay. So I would, I would then, I'd be in the front of the line and I would be, I have two choices. Ready? I could either not eat and go away empty. Or I can turn around to James, who probably has money because he mows lawns and stuff on Saturdays, and he works at the wedding venue and all these places, and I could be meek and realize I have need, and I know somebody who can help me with my need, and I turn around to James and say, James, can you pay for my meal that I can't pay for myself? And James would say, no. Just kidding. <laughs> James would click, click, Apple Pay, do-do, and he would pay for my meal, hopefully, if he likes me enough. So it's the same way with salvation, that we are, in, we are in this world, guys. Hey, the lost are refusing. They come to the front of the counter. Jesus says, you want eternal life? And they say, I would like one eternal life, please. And Jesus says, well, that will cost your meekness. You have to admit that you're a sinner and that I am a savior and trust me alone for salvation. And this world, instead of saying, I will take that and freely have salvation. Instead, they would rather step out of line and go away hungry and die and go to hell. Don't let your pride and your refusal to admit that you don't have enough. You can never pay for your sins, but Jesus can sufficiently pay for your sins. 
And it just, all, all it takes is you just turning around to Jesus and saying, Jesus, will you pay for my salvation? Jesus, I would like to accept the gift that you have already offered me. You said come, so I am coming. And you said that if I call on you in faith, that I will not be ashamed. And we all need salvation. Hey, you only have to be saved one time, but you do have to be saved one time. If there's never been a time where the line leader of the law has grabbed you by the hand and taken you to the mirror of God's word and showed you and said, you are a sinner. That yes, if you were to keep the law completely and perfectly, you could live. If we could keep, the Bible's clear that if I could keep the law completely and perfectly, I would live by my own merit. I couldn't make it to heaven based off of good works if I was perfect as Jesus was perfect. But I'm not, and you're not. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the next plan, the next thing is, well, I'm not perfect, but I'll get Jesus to step into my place instead. And he will take my sin upon himself, and he will pay for that. And I can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. If there's never been a time where you have done that, where you've called on Christ in faith, realizing I can't pay for this. I can't do this, and I have a debt that must be paid. Or I will suffer what I truly deserve and then call on Jesus for that salvation. You are on by the authority of the word of God. You are on your way to hell. You are. And it's true. And I lovingly, like a doctor who says, you have cancer and it will kill you. But I have a cure. Would you like the cure? As the doctor tells you that, I am telling you, if you have your sin still on your account, if you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, the only thing keeping you from that is you. The only thing keeping that from you is you. And make the choice today. Call on Jesus Christ. Come and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the door. I am the truth. I am the life. If a man tries to come in to the, to the sheepfold, any other way than the door, he's a thief and a robber. There's one way into heaven, and it is through Jesus Christ, the door of the sheepfold. And he swings freely and openly for anybody who wishes to enter. And I would say, come, just like Jesus says. To accept this payment, you must believe and confess. Believe that you are sinful and rightly deserves God punishment for your sin and that you cannot pay for your sin with your good works. Confess. Call out to Jesus Christ and agree with him that what he says is true and ask him to have mercy on you. Verse 8, guys. I'm going to keep moving. Verse 8. The statutes, that's the law. It's a synonym for the law. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. What God has said in his word is right. His word is right. Everyone say that with me. His word is right. His word is right. Everyone, one more time. His word is right. God is always right. His word is always right. It would do us all good to arrive at this place that David arrived in our life to say and believe deep down in the parts of our hearts that we don't tell anybody about that God's word is right and that what God has said is right. God's statutes are straight, direct, and correct. That's what that word right means. They are straight, they're direct, they're correct. They're straight, direct, and correct. They are without error and perfect. And they also set mankind as straight and as correct as they are. The heart rejoices in the rightness of Scripture because what we have put our hope in is not a lie. Isn't that nice to know that what we believe is true? It is nice to know that at the end of my life, I will not find out 
that what I put my hope in for salvation was the wrong place to put my hope in. That what I've trusted in my whole life, the God that I have spent hours and hours praying to is truly there. That when I put, when I do the things the Bible says, I will get the things the Bible says I will get. If I trust in the Lord, he will direct my paths. He, if I acknowledge him in all my ways, he will direct my paths. If I do this and I do that, the things, the principles of God's word, and I step in line with Jesus' steps, I will get exactly what the Bible says. The instruction manual will give us the product that we so deeply desire. It will conform us into the image of his son. What we study, it's a relief that God's word is right because what we study has helped us to avoid the destruction of sin and life and death. Those who think that they are smarter than the Bible will find in their life that they surely are not. Those who think themselves to be smarter and more correct than the statutes of the Lord will at the end of their life surely find out that they were wrong. That God's word was right and they were wrong. And those who think who live their lives in complete rebellion and opposition and instead try to go what they think themselves to be right in rebellion to the scriptures, they find that at the end of sin is death and destruction. And we can have rejoicing and happiness knowing that I walked in step with God's word and in step with Jesus Christ. And I found that at the end of this path is life. And it's life more abundantly. And I don't have to look back on my path and wish I didn't take that step and wish I didn't take that step. Oh, I wish I didn't follow the Bible, said no one ever. Nobody ever wishes, oh, I wish I didn't follow God. I wish I didn't live for God. I wish I would have been more involved in that sin. Hey, sin's the thing that brings regret. God's word, God's righteousness never brings regret. We can have rejoicing in our heart that God's word is true because what we cling to is the same thing for every man without partiality. If I had James and Joe up here and we have that toilet paper rolling game again, right? And I would have uh, really good toilet paper rollers this time, right? It'd be like homecoming style rolling, just expert level, right? And, yeah. I would, and I would have these two guys up here and I would say, okay, James, you have to go all the way around the couches, all around these chairs. And then I would say, Joe, all you have to do is go around this one chair. James would be like, that's not fair. Guys, that's totally not fair. That's, and jo, but Joe would be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to win, maybe, if he can keep all the toilet paper on him this time. So it, we can rejoice that the same path that I must walk is the same path that Joe must walk. And the same path that I walk is the same path that James must walk. It's fair for everybody. Nobody is exempt from the commandments of God. It is totally and completely level for all of us. And we can rejoice that all of us have, that God's life that he has given me to live is no harder than Sam's is. Because God will give me the same strength and power I need, just like he gives to Sam. And it's the same path, the same commandments that we must walk through. Let's look at that last phrase of verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Mm, enlightening the eyes. God's commands are pure. Awesome. In a world where almost nothing is pure, you can run to the refuge of what is eternally pure. It brings sight to the eyes of the mind, allowing one to see the world in a way that is finally correct because it's God's way. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 130, the entrance, when God's word enters in, the entrance of thy words giveth light. 
It giveth understanding to the simple. And finally, it'll take the mind of the pervert and it will take the uncleanness and it will wash over it with the washing of water by the word. That God's, God's words will substitute in for the unclean thoughts. And it's not always an immediate thing, but we continue to wash our minds in the word of God and the washing of water by the word. And those thoughts will be replaced by the pure words of God that are eternally pure as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. That those thoughts that I fight and you fight, those images that have accidentally been flashed in front of us when we're just driving, we're just walking, or we go to school, or we go to wherever, and they, they come in and we don't want them, we fight them out and we fight and we fight. We can take God's word and we can put that instead and it can remove those nasty, ungodly, wicked thoughts and we can finally have words in our mind, have our sight pure as God's word. And we can start to, and I'm not just talking about just purity, sexual purity, but it will help a guy who struggles to look at a woman like a woman instead of a piece of property. That God's word will come in and it will cleanse us and cleanse us. And you will finally start to see women the way that God sees women. And it would be the same for women with men, that they would start to see men the way that God sees men. And we could finally start to see life in the way that God sees life in this pure, wonderful, awesome way. We can reject this impurity and fill our minds with the purity of God's word instead. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. We're going to end there today, guys. Okay?